This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show on this fine Monday. You know, we love the Monday show because we've got a lot to catch up on. It is a bevy of material. But today I want to do something special. Um, you know, I've been deeply concerned about the growing threat of digital IDs and digital currency. Um, this is a way for the government to keep tabs on us, to surveil us, and in many cases to delete us from digital life altogether. In my humble opinion, it is one of the two or three largest threats to liberty and freedom out there today. Folks, we've got a lot to talk about today with author Michael Rechtenwald, who is an expert on this subject. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Folks, privacy is a right, not a privilege. Take advantage of it. Get a VPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Uh, as I said, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Michael Rechtenwald uh, knows an enormous amount about the growing, pernicious, and dangerous threat of big tech and government combining in this uh, digital ID endeavor. We're going to get to him in this really incredibly informative must listen to interview uh, in a second. I appreciate your patience. We're going to read two sponsors up front, two in the middle for minimal interruptions. These are great companies and they pay uh, to come here and talk to you. And we deeply appreciate it. And I deeply appreciate your patience. You ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode? It says your activity might still be visible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. How can they even call it incognito mode? To stop people from seeing the sites you visit, you need to do what I do and use ExpressVPN. I say at the beginning of every show. Think about all the times you use Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, a hotel, or even your parents' house. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the administrator of that network. Your home internet provider could also see and record your browsing data. And in the U.S., they're legally allowed to sell that data to advertisers. ExpressVPN encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays just that private. ExpressVPN works on all your devices, and it's super easy to use. I'm not that tech-savvy, folks. I figured it out. Tap one button. In many cases, you're protected. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash Bongino to get three months extra free. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino to learn more. Thanks, ExpressVPN. Uh, our second sponsor today is My Patriot Supply. MyPatriotSupply.com is the website. Folks, it's looking bad out there. It looks like the world is losing its mind. But you can have peace of mind by getting prepared today and stocking up on emergency survival food. Preparedness matters. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and you'll save $250 on a three-month emergency food kit for My Patriot Supply. I'm sure you already know who My Patriot Supply is. They're the nation's largest preparedness company. They've been with me here for a long time and they're offering a very special discount on this three-month food kit. Pick it up today. Do not wait for the emergency to hit. It's the lowest price in three years since 2019. Remember when everything costs less? Yeah, we do too. My Patriot Supply is your friend in times like these. Act now. You'll enjoy a $250 savings per three-month kit. Get one kit for each person in your care. You'll always need more than you think. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and say big. Your kits will ship fast with free shipping too. The offer ends in just a few days, so don't put this off. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and save money on the emergency food you're going to need. That's MyPatriotSupply.com right now. MyPatriotSupply.com. Folks, I'm really excited about this next guest. He is the author 
of a book I have really come to enjoy, Google Archipelago, obviously a play on Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. Sadly, we're back there. And the forthcoming book available at michaelrechtenwald.com. It's called The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty. I want to welcome to the show, Michael Rechtenwald. Michael, thanks for spending some time with us. It's great to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. So I've come across your work, and given my fascination with digital currencies, digital IDs, and the threat to liberty and freedom. Uh, your work is just incredible on this. I've read a lot of your pieces and outlets. First, describe to us, digital ID, you know, what is it? It's become kind of one of these catch-all terms. What, is it, what does it mean to you? Well, I think it refers to a collection of data uh, that purportedly uh, will define who we are as persons including what we do both online and offline, and also a means by which we can be identified, of course, but also tracked, trailed, surveilled, etc. And it could also use predictive algorithms to anticipate what we might do, not only what we do. So this has a lot of uh, potential functionality that is very alarming, frankly. I mean, this sounds like the kind of thing they're doing in China with this social credit score uh, where, you know, the, the per, I, I read something about an app they had done over there, the CCP, that would enable you at a crosswalk to see if the person standing next to you was in debt, was a debtor. And this sounds, I, I mean, really, I mean, axiomatically uh, Orwellian by nature. I mean, these were the warnings. So it's kind of a composite, but... But when we say the digital ID, is it some kind of, when people talk about it, it's going to be some kind of QR code on your phone? How exactly do these totalitarians want to implement this thing? It could actually be QR codes, but it might not be a QR code on your, on your phone. It could actually be a QR code on your skin, and that's not an exaggeration, such that other people with phones would be able to scan your QR code, and then your identity would pop up uh, to them. They would have data on just about everything you do, uh, including vaccine statuses and so forth. So, I mean, there's many ways it could go and there are many different projects rolling this out. Uh, it, could, it could evolve in various ways. And the real question is how they're gonna close the circle on this because uh, it could creep up on us. So there's, there's this thing called function creep whereby you have identity at first, identification at first, and then new components keep getting added such that it also entails more and more functions. And before you know it, you're utterly hemmed in. That's the thing that we have to be concerned about. So if I may, and if this example is, uh, is off base, let me know. So it starts, say, as a microchip, say, implanted underneath the webbed area between your index finger and your thumb, and you think it's working like a driver's license. So you get pulled over, you get scanned, no big deal. You get on a plane, you get scanned. But you said the functionality, this could turn into some kind of way to track your spending, some way to track what vaccines you may have taken. I mean, this is the kind of thing that could scale up to a really dramatic level of surveillance we've never seen in, in human history. Exactly. It could include things like your uh, carbon footprint allowance and your usage. In other words, it would it would effectively give you a, a personal ESG score, an environmental, social and governance score, which, you know, of course, is being levied on corporations right now. But it could become individual very easily. So, yeah, there's there are a number of functions that could keep accru accruing to this thing such that it gets completely out of control. And uh, there are, 
you know, we have to watch for this kind of function creep as we move along. Uh, and we have to uh, resist the duping that they're going to use, you know, suggestive of the idea that without it, you can't participate in society. And with it, you'll have all this convenience and inclusion and so on and so forth. All of these things are real misnomers. They are, at best, euphemisms, at worst, complete doublespeak. Talking to Michael Rechtenwald, author again of the book Google Archipelago and the forthcoming book The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, available at michaelrechtenwald.com. Put it down on the Chiron. Please visit. Please check out the books. Michael, this is um, this has horrified me for a long time. I am uh, not a historian by any stretch, but I'm fascinated by history. And when you look back at the history of human nature and authoritarianism and totalitarianism, um, key tenets of it, they build this house of uh, tyranny on, are obviously the ability to surveil. I've used the analogy of, uh, you know, when you, uh, in, it, you have this personal and, and, and public self in a constitutional republic. When your garage door closes behind your car, as long as you're not breaking any laws in your, in your house and you have to go judge to get a warrant, you can be relatively confident that what happens behind that garage closed door is your personal self. You know, whatever you and your wife want to do, it's your business. It's not mine or significant other. But, I, you know, having traveled the world as a young Secret Service agent, and you know very well, th that's the exception. That's not the rule. Um, there are many countries now around the world, these communist regimes, where everything's considered public because you're always being surveilled either by your neighbors or you're being incentivized to be surveilled upon. That's it. That, that, that's what I find to be the biggest chasm between a Republic, a representative democracy and, and a totalitarian regime. And this breaks this all down. Digital ID. Yes, it does. And the thing is that, you know, they're going to try to bypass legislation in order to implement it. In other words, you have these corporate partners and this is a big, this is the big rhetoric that's always paraded around the, uh, private public partnerships, I'm sorry, public private partnerships, which is these corporations in conjunction with the state uh, enacting various technologies and uh, really getting around legislation. So we can expect this to first be introduced uh, with reference to commercial uses, and then it'll metastasize beyond that. This is where they're going to try to uh, basically insert it. And then as the functions continue to be added, it'll be adopted by states as necessary uh, for, you know, your registration of this, that and the other thing, car registration, uh, uh, birth registration to begin with for infants and onward and, uh, from there. So that means no escape from digital surveillance afforded by digital identity. And, you know, if, if the way these uh, totalitarians have operated in the past on social media and, and elsewhere and search functions like Google, uh, we can expect that they're going to treat behavior as they do social media. Uh, that is, they're going to apply the same sort of uh, uh, censorship, uh, surveillance, uh, uh, but also, you know, complete control of uh, speech and expression. And uh, basically, the possibility of digital deletion is even on the table. Ex that explain that, Michael. I, I, I've, I've seen you expound on that a bit. This idea of digital deletion is just terrifying. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I mean, you know, just as just as social media uh, outlets delete you from their platforms. By the way, I was just deleted from Twitter. Uh, 
This could happen to you in a digital identity, and this means that you don't exist in, in, fact, in, in effect. If you have no digital identity in a world in which digital identity is a, uh, you know, is a, a requirement, where are you without one? And so, you know, you could have all kinds of uh, censorship and control, but also utter, utter deletion by virtue of the fact of just making you a non-person. And this is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union with dissidents. And it could be used like that to treat anyone who's considered a dissident from the regime in the same manner uh, as, you know, social media is treating us today uh, and as dissidents were treated in the Soviet Union and in China. So I'm imagining a future and we'll get to how big tech fits into this in a second and more specifically. But like you said, introduced for commercial use, kind of like, hey, it's just like an easy pass in New York. It's just convenient. You don't have to pay cash. Um, but then it becomes integrated into a legal framework. And all of a sudden you find yourself in 10 years, you don't have it. You can't get on a plane. Um, you can't access credit. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you could get a money order from the post office to pay your rent if you're allowed to access your apartment without the digital ID. But it's really the kind of thing that they circumvent the Constitution by saying you don't have to get it. It's kind of like the old mob approach, Michael, right? Be a real shame right. if your place burned down. Is it? It's that kind of a threat, isn't it? Exactly. It's that kind of threat. And yeah. so what they'll do is make it uh, basically uh, something that you can't exist without. And they'll they'll sell this with uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of bait. There'll be a lot of lures here that'll make it seem appealing. And this is the this is the real danger. Uh, there'll be a bait and switch, really, is what's going to happen. How does big tech fit in this picture? Obviously, there's a financial incentive. We know that a lot of the architecture and infrastructure is probably a boatload of government contracts. I could see this becoming mandatory for people who enter our military is kind of like a beta test there. Uh, but big tech stands to profit from this. But they also stand to profit on the data side as well, Michael. You know, uh, someone told me once, I'm sure you've heard this, when a product is free, you're the product. They're selling you. Nothing's free. Milton Friedman wasn't lying when he told you that. So your thoughts on the big tech, uh, big tech picture in this? Well, they stand a lot to gain and, you know, they'll have contracts with the state and you know, governmental uh, organizations. And then they're going to have, you know, they'll stand to make massive amount of money on these contracts. But they're also being incorporated into the state and they're becoming state apparatuses as in effect. We see this operating already today with, uh, you know, the Biden administration uh, asking Facebook to censor and uh, downrank and delete, you know, people and uh, posts. So they'll have the same kind of interlocking relationship with the state that they're enjoying today. And uh, they'll stand to benefit. And also they're they're effectively gaining state power. So they they have uh, and this gives they get favored corporate status with the state. Uh, they get a, a kind of monopoly, a shared monopoly, in effect. And uh, in return, they give the state this these uh, powers of uh, coercion. Uh, so this kind of a very unholy alliance of state and uh, corporate actors really amounts to fascism. This is exactly what fascism is, is this kind of merging of corporate and state functions. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And one of the reasons I find your work fascinating uh, folks, please, again, check out the books, Google Archipelago and The Great Reset and The Struggle for Liberty coming soon. Uh, pick it up at michaelrechtenwald.com. Is having lived through this with the parlor experience, 
where after January 6th, there were a lot of people who said a lot of dumb things on social media platforms everywhere. Matter of fact, Facebook, I think it came out in an FBI investigation, had large swaths of this stuff too. It wasn't unique to this Parler site. But Parler, where I was an equity stakeholder at the time, Parler became associated with what the media would call right-wing politics, what we really just called free speech at the, at the site. That's all it was about. We didn't censor liberals over there. It was a free speech platform. The fact that conservatives found a home there was irrelevant to the mission, right? But yeah. uh, you had people like AOC and Ro Khanna after January 6th, you know, hey, hey, AWS, it'd be a real shame if, you know, you didn't do something about this parlor thing. And, you know, this is what our founding fathers feared most of all. I mean, there's a reason the Bill of Rights, you know, right there in the First Amendment, freedom of speech and the government's, you know, a granting of negative liberties to the government, what it can't do to you, it was included right there that you, you know, can't infringe on these things. And yet this symbiosis with government and big tech effectively deputizing them, I mean, they wiped this company out, Michael, like that. They were lucky to ever get back. That's exactly the right word is they're deputizing these companies as state apparatuses or state agents. So they have the authority of the state. And this adds tremendous power to the state. It, it augments state power, gives it greater precision than it ever had before uh, with uh, 5G and uh, AI and uh, data mining, et cetera. It makes the state grow in power and uh, to unprecedented degrees while feeding these corp uh, corporations effective uh, you know, tax money. It'll come down to basically we'll be paying for our own uh, surveillance, for our own cage, if, in effect, yeah. a digital cage in this case. Uh, flowery chains. I mean, it's not like we haven't been warned about this by philosophers. <laughs> but just go exactly. back and read. Um, so, Michael, one of the things that concerns me about it is, you know, when I was a, a young agent out there doing surveillance, you could get a subpoena from companies and you could the, the, the technology to geolocate someone using their phone was primitive. But if you were to have some kind of subcutaneous chip implanted, the technology now is extraordinary through geolocation and geofencing. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, you could get an FBI agent who, I mean, sadly, I'm not indicting everyone there, but we've seen a lot of people with malicious intentions through this, the whole spying operation on Donald Trump and others. You could get a uh, an FBI agent or an FBI supervisor with malicious intentions with some political motive to get a subpoena for a search warrant, effectively just follow someone around to within a couple feet everywhere they go. Exactly. And they could also use this geofencing to effectively tie you to any local crime. Um, this is there. You know, there's the possibility of issuing warrants on the basis of geolocation. So if you happen to be within a, say, a, a one mile perimeter from a crime, and you are also someone targeted by the regime as a dissident or an otherwise uh, obstreperous person that the state doesn't like, that is the regime in power, that is likely a leftist totalitarian regime, then you, you could be pinned with crimes that you had nothing to do with. And this is a serious problem. And uh, th there's also the possibility that, you know, geolocation will just uh, be used indiscriminately to uh, corral various people and associate them with various crimes, whether they have anything to do with them at all. And uh, these are uh, some of the, the most dangerous manifestations of all this. Uh, but there's, there are many others, too. I mean, uh, vaccine issue, the carbon footprint tracking, uh, 
basically linking you biometrically to this digital ID such that you're you're tracked and traced and your biometrics are stored in this ID. So they have a, a, a confirmed identity established that can be used in many ways. I've got so much more I want to get to. We're going to take a quick break. We're here with author Michael Rechtenwald. The website, michaelrechtenwald.com. The books are incredible. Google Archipelago, you can get now. I strongly encourage you to do it. And you can pre-order now The Great Reset. Uh, the Great Reset and The Struggle for Liberty. Pick that up. We'll be back. Just a quick break for our sponsors. We'll be back with author Michael Rechtenwald. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Folks, taking a quick break for a couple sponsors here. Deeply appreciate your patience. These are good companies. Again, I'd like to talk to you, so thank you very much. American Financing. If you haven't looked over your budget in a while, now may be a good time. See what your biggest expenses are and where you can cut back. If you're a homeowner, your equity is up significantly since last year, and that equity can be accessed as cash for the things you need. Got to call my friends at American Financing. It's a great company. Get that free mortgage review I've been telling you about because they're going to look at your entire financial picture from your home loan to your equity, even your high interest debt. They'll review it all, helping you save an average of $695 a month. Think of the difference that can make for you. And give them a call at American Financing to learn more. You start soon, you could delay two payments and may close in as fast as 10 days. Here's the number for American financing. It's 888-994-7660. That's 888-994-7660. Or you can visit them online at AmericanFinancing.net. AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182334. NMLS Thanks, American Financing. Great company. Our last sponsor today, our friends at Blackout Coffee, my new go-to. You know, Paul and I are, you know, I just pressed the bag and the smell comes out the back. And now it's making me want a cup of coffee. We love uh, Blackout uh, Coffee Company. They've been amazing ever since we've had them on board. They're fantastic. Blackout Coffee is a small family-owned business. They care about quality. It's all that matters to them. They make sure every bag is shipped fresh roasted. Just smell it. Just press the bag. They provide amazing customer service and incredibly fast shipping, which reminds me they offer a coffee subscription with free shipping right to your doorstep. Don't worry about running out of coffee. You know, I definitely don't want to run out of this coffee either. Having to drink low quality garbage coffee. It's terrible. This is the real deal, this stuff. You don't want to drink that other stuff. Blackout Coffee's beans are rigorously selected and meticulously roasted right here in Florida. And they're back up and running from Hurricane Ian. You can tell I'm kind of excited about this company because I love me some coffee. They're proud supporters of our troops and first responders. Yes, that's why I love them too. Stick with a company that has strong American values and support them as they support our show. We really appreciate that. Blackout Coffee is a roast for you. Right now, my listeners get 20% off at blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino or use coupon code Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O. Try their coffee. You'll see what I mean. You're going to love it. You'll ditch those other guys right away. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino, blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino or use coupon code Bongino for 20% off your order. Thanks, Blackout Coffee. 
With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Welcoming back, Michael Rechtenwald. Uh, Michael, I, w- I wanted to go through a couple of these things you've mentioned in the first part of our interview, interview here, one by one. Obviously, it appears to most uh, observers who are dispassionate and reasonable about this thing that the vaccine mandate had little to do with the vaccine. They had no longitudinal data on its efficacy at stopping transmission. I mean, again, that's just tautological. They, it was new. Um, uh, but they want just incredibly overboard with this. You had mandates, people got fired. Long story, we've all been through it. But I've said to my audience repeatedly that this was never about the vaccine. It was about the mandate that this never let a crisis go to waste, Rahm Emanuel type attitude. When you're a totalitarian, you'll never blow an opportunity to soften up via body blows people for this coming surveillance future, which every totalitarian wants. Your thoughts on that, how the vaccine mandate was like kind of a body blow to freedom and a, and a prep course for this digital ID future. Right, exactly. One of the things to keep in mind, and it's it's a very simple idea. When you're dealing with totalitarians, the means are the ends. Whatever they're saying that you need to do to achieve a particular end, like mitigating climate change, like, um, you know, attack, uh, you know, trying to mitigate the effects of a virus, the means that are being introduced are the very ends that are being sought. And that's what, what's happening with vaccine. There's no question about it. It's also what's happening with terms of climate change, catastrophism, what, whatever actions that are being enacted in order to make you change your behavior. This is what's the this is the objective on the table. It is not the it is not the ends, the putative ends that they uh, that are given. Yeah, and it seems so obvious from, again, people who've separated themselves and looked at it objectively. It seems so transparent. You mentioned another thing as well, uh, the use of these digital IDs in conjunction with a carbon footprint. I've, I've seen and read some horror stories about the potential in the future of, say, you've driven your allotted miles per month and the, you know, the, the ESG, Green New Deal, Great Reset crowd you cover in your next book. That's it. You got 100 miles a week. You surpass your miles. Your digital ID in conjunction with a digital currency doesn't work at the gas pump anymore. I mean, these are things these people have really thought about. This isn't hyperbolic exaggeration for effect nonsense. Exactly. In fact, at the World Economic Forum uh, annual meeting in May, the uh, CEO or president of Alibaba Group introduced this idea of carbon foot personal carbon footprint tracking. And this is tracking that tracks your every carbon use uh, and your allowance of carbon use. So that's not only gas and uh, other forms of energy, but also consumption, uh, your food consumption, including meat consumption. And, uh, you know, not so ironically, Alibaba Group is is one of the major purveyors of China's uh, social credit score system. They are actually running the, the social credit scoring system in conjunction with the state in China. So we see a public-private partnership in operation. And so that's the same kind of thing they're trying to roll out here. Google has, uh, has uh, 
on the, on the table a personal carbon footprint tracking technology. Many other companies are also vying for uh, you know connection with the state with reference to this. This is the kind of thing we're going to see more of. And you mentioned the connection to CBDCs and the way that the digital identity will be connected to that will make it impossible to purchase things if, in fact, uh, a carbon footprint allowance is dictated. Yeah, I definitely want to get into the central bank digital currencies uh, in a moment. That, that, to me, that's been something I've been harping on for about seven years now on my podcast. I'm so terrified by it. But when I think about this digital ID and you look back at the history of the Soviet Union, uh, the early Chinese Communist Party, one of their great failures in implementation of central planning, in addition to an obvious ideological one, um, was the inability to surveil on a mass scale, uh, kind of in a granular way. I mean, you can tell the farmer all you want. You're going to you know, uh, plot this many hectares of corn. But the hard reality is you just don't have enough police state actors to watch everything. But if you have a CBDC, a digital currency combined with a digital ID, and you tell a neighborhood in Martin County where I live, you have this many residents, therefore you'd be allotted this amount of wheat and beef and gasoline. I mean, through this, you can effectively use the technology to surveil everyone like an eye in the sky 24 hours a day. Absolutely. Um, this gives powers that you know Mao and Stalin could only dream of, really. Uh, this would give this kind of precision uh, the scope and the penetration of surveillance I'm, uh, never seen before. And uh, th this is really uh, the setup for a complete total totalitarian system. Uh, and so we have to do everything we can to resist it. Yeah, it's really shocking to me that more people don't see this. I mean, I, I understand the ones that tactically want it and are hiding their intentions, but I see it as probably the greatest threat to liberty in our, in our time. You mentioned also political rallies. This sounds like a great way to politically target people. I mean, if you can geofence, I mean, we already saw what happened with January 6th. You had some mm -hmm. bad actors and you had some people who showed up to exercise their First Amendment right to go to a rally. You're allowed to say you think an election was stolen or whatever, as long as you don't break the law. You can say whatever you want. There's specific laws about this stuff. But what better way to shut down a political rally than to kind of wink and nod again with the be a real shame if your place burned down. Hey, you know, you guys go to that rally, you know, there's digital IDs. Everybody's going to know you be, God forbid you lost your job. I mean, if that information leaked, it'd be really terrible, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, so this is how they're using it in China. And uh, basically the geofencing and uh, the use of the digital ID and the social credit score, they all go hand in hand. So you, you can't travel even outside of a certain perimeter if you don't have the proper social credit score, for example. So they use the geofence uh, to set off alarms. In effect, if a person, uh, you know, transgresses a periphery, for example, there, you know, the alarm goes off and in effect, it sends data to the state and then they act on it if necessary. So this would be a way of putting people, uh, you know, establishing like a political profile, a socio-political credit score, really, when it comes down to it. It's a socio-political uh, credit score that's on the table here. So you have this profile about somebody, a political profile, and therefore you can then identify them and know about their whereabouts, their connection to any kind of political movement, like a rally or something else. And already we've seen how uh, people being, you know, attending Trump rallies are deemed fascists and Nazis. So, I mean, this could be used as a way to, you know, further characterize people and profile them 
and then use the profile to prohibit certain behavior or to elicit some sort of uh, suspicion about their uh, their intentions even uh, politically. So you're looking at pre-crime uh, surveillance, pre-crime, a pre-crime regime, and even the possibility of pre-crime arrests where people's uh, behavior is or, uh, anticipated and as such, they're used to basically arrest people before they even act. Yeah, sadly, we've already seen, maybe not specifically, but allusions to that with uh, some of the videos I played on my show in recent months. I know in your next book, Great Reset, The Great Reset Struggle for Liberty, you cover this uh, World Economic Forum, Globalist, World Health Organization, Great Reset crowd. Um, describe for us, what is the Great Reset um, and how does it tie in with digital IDs and these globalists who are pushing to advance this insane digital ID idea? idea? That's, yeah, that's a great question. So the Great Reset is a multi-pronged uh, project. It includes an economic uh, project. There's a kind of economy that it's trying to establish, which they're calling stakeholder capitalism. And it, it really comes down to a kind of... Uh, corporate state hybrid on top and a, an effective actually existing socialism on the ground. Uh, these corporate state hybrid monopolists in control and individuals basically relegated to a static uh, economic condition in which there's no upward mobility and so forth. Uh, that's the economic element. And then the technological element is incorporating all of the technologies of what they're calling the fourth industrial revolution. And that includes all of these uh, digital technologies that we're talking about, uh, digital identity, uh, CBDCs, um, the metaverse is another one, uh, so the carbon uh, footprint tracking. All of these things are then used once you have these people in place and you have the agenda uh, rolling out. Now you have the technology to actually enforce the regime that you're putting in place. And that's, what the, that's where the technological element comes in. Uh, so this this is why you'll see Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum touting this fourth industrial revolution and writing books about it by that title, in fact, and, uh, you know, heralding this as a great uh, as a great future, as a great a accomplishment and a great accession to human capability when, in fact, it's nothing of the sort. It'll be used by these totalitarians uh, to to enforce the kind of regime that they're attempting to establish. Yeah, Michael, they're not hiding this either. I mean, Schwab wrote a book called The Great Reset. You know, I always get a kick out of these fact checkers. Uh, you know, they're, they're really opinion checkers. They, they The book's called The Great Reset. I mean, it's that's not figurative. They're not hiding it. it. I mean, these guys are openly advertising what their goals are. In fact, it's called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And in <laughs> right. the book... In the book, the you know Schwab and Terry Mallorette, his co-author, they say point blank that COVID represents a, a great opportunity. They say this like 17 times, that it's an opportunity that must be seized to bring about the great reset of capitalism. And this is the capitalism that they have in mind. It's not capitalism at all. This is either corporate socialism or you can call it economic fascism. I also call it... Uh, capitalism with Chinese characteristics to as a play on the on the socialism with Chinese characteristics of the of this Chinese uh, Communist Party's nomenclature. So this is effectively a kind of whole system. And they have if you look at all the parts and you read the text, 
and read, you know, you don't even have to read between the lines. All you have to do is reasonably uh, project uh, what they have in mind and how, what it will accomplish. And this is really what it comes down to uh, this kind of a, a feudalistic, neo socialist, uh, economic fascist, uh, an economic system under which people are under total surveillance and control. And I have to say, without you know, sounding like a loon, uh, there's also population control issues involved. These people have been uh, Malthusians from the outset. That is, they are very much intent on controlling population. It goes back to their history. The WEF and all their partners uh, have been involved with uh, population ethics, as they would call it. It really is about controlling the human population. Yeah, that doesn't. No, that that's not. That's like that. That's again. No, that's tautological. They they, they do openly do it. I mean, I get really excited yeah. talking about this topic because I'm fascinated by how people fell in this Paul Ehrlich Malthusian trap as if human beings are some net negative, but cattle on a farm are a net positive. It's just the most bizarre idea that we have an overpopulation problem. I mean, you do even the simple math and then you have the Chinese communist party with their one child policy, which turned into a demographic disaster. I mean, that's not a, that's not a loon at all. You're, you're, you're speaking the truth on this. Let's tie this into others. though. it's not just, um, it's not just the Klaus Schwab's WHO, WEF types, these globalists. It's also the Bill Gates types and others that seem Mm -hmm. to have fallen in love with this idea. And, and if and if you would, Michael, I'd like you to address the fraudulent nature of this whole thing with the with the kleptocrats out there, because you have these American business executives right now that have gone woke, they say, mm-hmm. and they'll mm-hmm. sit there and they'll cancel a guy like you on Twitter for stating an obvious fact about population control, which is happening. But then they'll go over to China and kiss the butt of the, There's a there's a uh, I was reading this piece in the journal. Sorry, I'm being long winded here. Um, there was this piece in a journal about a conference going on and the Chinese security chief, one of them is going to be over there, primarily responsible for the imprisonment of the Uyghurs. And these tech executives are speaking at this conference with this guy while canceling people like you and me for questioning the science behind vaccines or masks. It's just so fraudulent and outrageous. It's outrageous. And, you know, I, th- I think it could be looked at this way. Birds of a feather stick together. These people actually are modeling the system after China. I mean, this goes back to Marie Strong, uh, the first uh, the first director of UNEP or UN Environmental Program. And he said, basically, China is the model for this. So they've been looking at China as the model to uh, to introduce to the West for some time. Uh, China with its, you know, it has this for profit element, but those companies are effectively controlled to an extent by the state and vice versa. So really, China has always been what they've had in mind. So and they've had this population uh, ethics so-called in place. You know, the U.N. had has recommended, you know, forced sterilizations and forced abortions going back to the 70s. So population is very much on the agenda. And they also have this big desideratum to reduce the consumption of the Western world. They see it. uh, They see Westerners particularly in the United States, as a scourge on the planet. And they must get our consumption reduced. So in order to do it, they call for transfers of wealth from the West to the uh, developing world. And and this is, in effect uh, a way of bribing the developing world not to develop while robbing the West of its resources. Yeah. 
Michael, uh, the, and that ties in nicely to the topic I want to address with you on its own, this digital currency uh, threat. Now, it ties into digital ID. If you marry these two cancers together, you have a metastasizing rot to freedom. Digital currencies concern me for a number of reasons I'd, I'd like you to address. Number one is the idea of negative interest rates. Obviously, you know, all debts are paid, as Milton Friedman said, either by the debtor or the creditor. So uh, profligate governments, both swampy Republicans and profligate Democrats, it seems like integral to their ideology, they love to spend money they don't have. Well, you got to get it from somewhere. So one of the ways to do that is just to print more and drive up inflation. But one of the ideas they've come up with in some of these other countries and tried is the idea of a negative interest rate. It's a de facto tax on the population. You put your money in a bank every day, you lose money, unlike a positive interest rate. But it's hard to do that because it's very good for one thing, Michael, the safe industry, because people pull their money out of the bank and go and stick it in a safe. Not possible with the digital currency, though, in a digital idea, a genius level to, way to tax people. It's, it's incredible. So what, what effectively this, this, the central bank digital currency really amounts to having an, an account with the Fed in the United States, you, you'll have an account with the Fed. That means they'll have complete knowledge of all of your transactions, spending, savings, and debt. And uh, they will be able to, you know, it'll be completely transparent to them. Even the Bank of International Settlements says that you, they can, there's no way they can do this while giving people any kind of uh, privacy uh, over, their, over their finances. It has to be transparent. It will definitely be transparent. And you're right. This negative interest rates is one thing. They could also uh, make money expire such that it doesn't. It, it disappears if you don't spend it at the right rate. And this is especially true uh, with state state granted money, um, state infused money into your account. So if you know something like uh, the um, UBI, universal basic income is introduced, or even unemployment or social security, any of these things could be could expire if if they intend to make it expire so that you you just don't have it. There's no way to save this money under your bed or to keep it on in your wallet. This is all in their control. So they'll have complete control of your of your finances in effect. And they can infuse cash to particular players at, at will. And this this will give, you know, uh, this will change monetary policy, making it even worse than it is now, where they can, you know, uh, in real time, infuse money to particular players. Of course, they don't pay the high interest rates that gets passed along to us. And that that increases, uh, you know, basically inflation overall. This could, this is all what's part of uh, the CBDC regime. It's uh, it's it's unbelievable. And the capacity, Michael, for end arounds around constitutional provisions like the Second Amendment with this are amazing. I mean, you could say something like, well, you know, we're going to do a one time stimulus, but you're not going to remember Operation Choke Point where they went after payday lenders and gun dealers. You could say something like you don't have to take the money. It's optional. But if you do, it's not eligible to be spent here, there, uh, payday lenders. I mean, and then that spirals into gun dealers and FFL saying, oh, my gosh, you know, are we going to be shut out altogether out of this digital economy? Yeah, I mean, I think PayPal's recent, you know, threat to to charge their users twenty five hundred dollars for spreading mis or disinformation really is a precursor, a, a quite a quite a, a a hint about how they'll use digital uh, CBDCs, that if you do something that they don't like or say something they don't like, 
this could be used as a way to, you know, to reduce your incomes, take monies directly off of you, uh, tax you, uh, real-time taxation, uh, you know, like uh, such that, you know, when you get income, it's taxed immediately and goes to the, uh, to the Federal Reserve. So all of this is on the table with CBDCs. Um, and uh, it's, again, it's going to be probably used uh, when, uh, when this economy, which is already in free fall, as I see it, when it gets worse, this will be like the, it'll be heralded as the way to bail us out from it. And that's how it'll be uh, inserted and introduced. So I, I think we have to resist CBDCs with everything we have, because I think they're the end of uh, freedom financially and even individually. That it, you just flowed seamlessly into my next question, which was going to be about taxes. You know, if you um, if, if you follow taxation over time, you'll see that the way our system is structured here without a VAT, that the largest sums of money are raised in around the 20 to 24 percent of GDP level. That's really any more than that. It's almost impossible because in the system we have now, Michael, you know, a tax evasion is a crime. But tax avoidance is a national pastime. It's just true. Yeah. I also that's why accountants can get very rich. Not a knock on accountants. Love them. I have a great one myself. But tax avoidance is. It's a national pastime. So they figured out uh, Hauser's law, which they, you know Hauser's always surmised that when people can see the amount of money being taken out at about twenty percent is where they start to say that's ah, about enough. One fifth of the time I'm working to pay these people anymore. I'm not giving you anymore. But that's the benefit of a VAT. A value-added tax, you can hide it in layers of taxation. VATs can raise a fortune. When you're talking about a digital ID tied to a universal digital currency, all those, how you can throw Hauser's Law right out the They'll take whatever they want when they want to. At any time. And so tax taxing in real time uh, basically would be just almost inevitable. Uh, so any income, and we see hints of this already with the Biden administration suggesting that any transaction of $600 or more is going to be reported uh, to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the Fed, I mean, to the uh, IRS. So we're looking at all kinds of ways that are going to hem us in uh, to make it impossible to, to, to operate uh, with any kinds of autonomy and effectively to make, uh, uh, to establish this profile using the digital identity connected to CBCs, even possibly even starving off people, yeah. shutting them out from the economy entirely, making it impossible for them to, to buy anything uh, or to make money. This is another thing. They could have vendors that just aren't allowed to have transfers made to them. And if yeah. cash is outmoded entirely, this would mean people will starve to death. Michael, I know I said last question, but just one final thought on this. There's, there's, there's still time to fight back against this stuff. I mean, we are still a constitutional republic. We're struggling, but we still have a voice. You have representatives and senators and even people at the assembly and delegate and state and city level as well. We should all vocalize to them our disapproval of any 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 path that leads down to this digital ID, correct? There's still a way to stop this. Absolutely. Uh, and in fact, I've said in, in my book, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, I have a nine point plan to stop the whole Great Reset. But digital oh. identity and refusing digital identity, refusing CBDCs, refusing the, uh, ES, uh, the ESG scored corporations and, and banks, all of these things all go together to ward this whole thing off. We still have time. Absolutely. And I'm like you. I have a long view here. I think that we can right. save the U.S. from tyranny. 
and it's very possible to do so. Amen. I say it on my show all the time. I'm purchasing a whole bunch of call options on the United States. I'm longing that God touch this place with something special. Michael, let me get another plug in for your books. Folks, please pick them up. A Google archipelago you can get right now. It's really incredible. You want to talk about an eye opener about what big tech is up to and pre-order please today. The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty. The website again is michaelrechtenwald.com, michaelrechtenwald.com. And Michael, after the book comes out, we'll have you on the radio show and the, uh, and the TV show again to make sure people, uh, people get that nine point plan. They're going to need it. Thanks for your time today. It was a really frightening, but informative interview and knowledge is power. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. Folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Please spread it around. The growing threat of digital ideas, a threat to freedom and liberty like we haven't seen in a long time. Imagine this government that we barely trust now, knowing each and everything you do and being able to watch you. I'm not having it. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. It is free. It helps us stay on the charts, and we really appreciate that. Also on Rumble at rumble.com slash Bongino, rumble.com slash Bongino. Follow us there. We'll see you guys and ladies tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. You just heard Dan Bongino.